You're listening to the Fervent Church Podcast, a church in the Austin area who exists so that people may know Jesus. From wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged, challenged, and strengthened in your relationship with Jesus today. For more teachings, information, or to support our ministry, please visit fervent.church. We pray you're blessed by the message. So anyways, yeah, we we launched this church eight weeks ago to be exact, launched this church um, really simply, as our shirts say, so that people may know Jesus. Um, And I really believe if you guys have been watching anything this week, um, I think if we can see anything from the election and all this stuff is that this world, or at least this country, is very divided. It's very divided, and whether we want to say what's right or what's wrong, as far as why it's divided, we can talk about that later, but it's just it's a divided world we live in, and I believe God has called us, and the Bible says that He puts people into places and into seasons for such a time as this, and I believe that we are here in the middle of this pandemic in uh, Hutto, Texas tonight, so that people may know Jesus, and that's so that we can know Jesus more. It's like we exist because we want to know Jesus more. We don't want to just say, okay, I I got the basics and I'm good. No, we want to grow in depth and intimacy with the Lord. But we also want other people who don't know Jesus to know Jesus more, um, or at least to know him a little bit. And then also, I think at the very least, what we want to do is we want people to know that there's an offer on the table, meaning that Jesus has an offer of eternal life. It's like a plea bargain. Like if you've ever been to court, it's like Jesus is the lawyer. He's coming. He's saying, hey, Uh, Just believe in me, repent of your sins, and you can have eternal life. That's the offer that's on the table. And whether or not people choose to believe that or not, obviously that's up to them. But that's what we want to do. We want to be a light in this dark world. And now more than ever in my lifetime, at least, I believe that we have the greatest opportunity to shine the brightest. It's like the light shines brightest in the dark. And so we got this time where we're seeing opposition on the rise um, as far as opposition towards the church, towards the Christians, where, I mean, I think this is just my thoughts. I think we're getting into a day where it's like I won't be able to preach the way I'm preaching right now in this country, at least with this freedom and liberty that we have at this moment in time. That might be many days, weeks, months, years down the road, but I believe it's coming for us. Um, but I honestly, I'm going to be preaching and teaching even if I go to jail. We see in, in Scripture, there's the disciples, and they actually rejoice that they got to be imprisoned or beaten because they're like, oh, we got beat up for Jesus, and they're rejoicing. And so I just, I think that day's coming, so I just want to encourage you in a weird way, right? You're like, that's not encouraging, Nick. I'm going to get beat up for Jesus. But I just want to say, hang in there. There is no one else worthy to stand for than Jesus, our Lord Almighty. Um, just a few things that we've seen in this last week, I just want to tie this in into like reality. We're living in 2020 for those who might listen to this later on or watch the the YouTube video, but like things that have happened this week in this election in Arizona, my home state, they legalized uh, marijuana recreationally. And that's just one thing. And so I, I'm going to hit a few things just to kind of give you an idea of where the world is at and whether or not you agree with some of these things. I'm just going to just lay out the facts very bluntly. Legalization of marijuana in, in Arizona and really what they're doing, they're following the lead of many other states. And really, what, what is that? Like, if you think about it, you contrast that with God's word in the Bible. The Bible says to be sober minded, and alert. It's like you're smoking weed. I used to be a huge uh, pothead, if you will. It's like I know that it's like when you're high, you are the furthest thing from sober-minded and you're the furthest thing from alert. It's like you have like a 10-minute reaction. Something happens 10 minutes later. You're like, what was that? 
And it's like, so anyway, it's like that's happening in our world right now. That's what the world wants. That's what they're pushing for. That has happened in Arizona and many other states. Another thing that has happened is that in Oregon, I don't know if you heard this, decriminalization of heroin. We're not talking about marijuana, like just smoking a little bit of weed, right? It's like, and that's, I think that's wrong. Put that on record, okay? But heroin, heroin we're talking about. So they have decriminalized heroin. So many people are like, well, it's still a crime. Like they just don't go to jail for it. It's like, but what they're going to do is you're going to see heroin usage increase there. And from my knowledge, my experience of seeing a lot of my friends go get addicted to heroin with heroin comes an addiction to meth. So you're not going to only see heroin rise there. You're going to see meth come with it because you got a downer. They got to evil, even out this playing field a little bit as far as drugs go. So you're going to see an increase in that and so there's what they did is they decriminalized it and now instead of going to jail you'll go to some kind of rehab which the rehab is funded by the marijuana industry which is just funny it's like this sick uh, circle of things just fueling and feeding into each other and so that's going on in the world um, in Austin here I mean we're in Hutto today but Austin is very nearby proposition a if you know anything about that that just passed it's a seven billion dollar bill we can't even hardly wrap our minds around that number seven billion dollar bill and the reason I bring bring it up is like they're making a they want to make a light rail system um, a, a basically a subway system it's going to go underground overground it's going to go all the way across the city it's supposed to be super awesome and we think about them we're like oh that would be really nice i would like that but the thing is is they're going to make the people of austin pay it's like if you live in austin you have property in austin your property taxes will raise and i heard on, on one thing it's going to raise by like 25 percent um, and it's going to be four to six hundred dollar like increase, uh, and I want to say it was per month. Like that's crazy. That's crazy talking. So you will pay for it. But here's the thing: is that what we see going on in the world is that the world is getting what they want. The world is getting what they want. It's like they think, hey, this sounds like a good idea. Let's legalize marijuana so people don't get arrested and go to jail for it so we don't have to have our jails packed. Let's legalize that. So they legalize it. Let's decriminalize heroin because there's so many heroin addicts on the street. Like let's stop putting them in prison so we don't pack the prison and stuff. So now they decriminalize it. Let's make a subway system that's going to bankrupt everybody and make us poor and we can't afford to make our house payments anymore. Like, because it sounds good, but then this is what's happening. This is the reality of what's happening in our world today. It's, it's, uh, it's going on. Uh, Romans chapter 1, it says that God, he, he gives the people, us, over to our passions. And this is like probably one of the, the most, I don't know, one of the most, uh, I don't know, hard to take in, but like, it's a very stern passage. Romans chapter one, I forget which uh, verse it is, but it says that he gives the people over to their desires. It's like God tries to stop them. He tries to tell them what's right, convicts them. But after a while, God says, fine, you want that? Then here, here you go. You can have that. And that's probably the scariest and worst place to be is a place where God has given you over to yourself. But that's what we see happening in this day and age. And let me tell you is that it's never worked well for anyone to be given over to their desires, to have everything that they want. And I want to say this is that America won't be the first one to, to all of a sudden break this cycle. It's not going to work. But despite the craziness, I bring that up, is that we have a great opportunity to be a light in the darkness. I believe God's called us to be here for such a time as this. The greater the opposition, the greater the opportunity, really. And so, 
Um, unfortunately, talking with some pastors I know, I mean, my thought is, I feel like Jeremiah, and if you guys know about Jeremiah in the Old Testament, he was a prophet, and so Jeremiah was called by God to go tell the people to repent, or you will go into exile. Bad things is going to happen. The thing, thing is, Jeremiah did that. He told these people, and nobody repented. He's called the weeping prophet, and many people believe it's because he was preaching a message, and everybody's like, Jeremiah's just crazy. He, uh, he's just into some conspiracy theories that uh, uh, those people are going to come over and take over our country and take us out. And, and like, but that's what happened. And that's what happened. And then the crazy thing is that Jeremiah went with them. So it wasn't like he got a, a get out of jail free card and the rest of the nation went to be in prison. No, Jeremiah was in prison with them or taken into exile. And I think that's the sad reality that we face is that we're out here trying to represent God. We're trying to preach the truth, but people are like, oh, you're just crazy, Nick. You're just full of things. The world really not that bad. It's not that twisted and messed up. And it's like, no, I think, I think it is. And this is what I want to encourage you guys as we dive into Scripture tonight. It's like be rooted in Scripture. That's one of our values where it's like we are rooted in God's Word. It's like God's Word is the highest authority of our life. It doesn't matter what you think or feel. If the Bible says that it's wrong, it's wrong. And it's not a bad thing to tell people they're wrong. Can I say that? We live in such a world of, of which people are so offended. And that, that, the thing about the gospel, can I say this? The gospel is offensive to sinners. And we are all sinners. That's like We have to come to that point of that crossroads where all of a sudden God's like, hey, you are a sinner. You are going to hell. You're going to die and, and be apart from me for eternity unless you repent and believe in my son Jesus Christ. That, that's the reality you have to face. And you have to get over yourself where it's like, yeah, that sucks. That's offensive. I don't want to hear it. That's not politically correct or whatever the case is. But that's the truth. The world doesn't want to hear that. They want to shut us up and they want to be like, no, you can't say that, Nick. That's not right. But I want to encourage you to stand strong in this day and age. Stand strong and, and represent Jesus well. A few things, um, that's just kind of an uh, introduction to uh, the Fervent Church and what we're doing here, but a few things about us. Um, we meet here every week, and we will be here at 5 p.m. Um, every Sunday until the end of the year, but do note this, um, and many of you know it, but just note, December 20th, we will not be meeting here. That's a Sunday, the Sunday before Christmas, but we will be meeting here on Christmas Eve, which is December 24th, and I really look forward to it. It's going to be a special time where we'll just come together. We will worship the Lord. We'll go over the, the Christmas story, if you will, the birth of our Savior Jesus, and we'll have a little candlelight service, and I think it's going to be great. And and so as far as what the rest of the, the new year will look like, we're praying about that um, and just looking at options of what we're going to do and see what God wants to do. Um, but along with our services, every service, we have kids ministry, fervent kids. It's like basically newborn to six years old. Like if you're comfortable with putting them in there, like newborn age, and you can put them in there. We got um, little play stuff for all ages from zero to six years old. Um, we have CPR certified members of our team in there every single week. There's at least one of them. Not all are CPR certified, but we're working on that. And here's a little glimpse of what they get. They get to play games. They get a time of song and worship where they get to dance and sing to the Lord. They have a Bible study that's similar to ours, not exactly like ours, but like if we're talking about uh, baptism, um, which we're not tonight, but just for an example, they'll be getting a little lesson on baptism. What does that mean? So that we can kind of plant a seed and start to stir up their minds so that when we go home, we can talk to our kids. What did you learn in church tonight? And we can actually further that discussion rather than they're like, oh, well, I learned about 
um, something totally different from what we learned. And then we kind of it's like, oh, well, that's cool. End of that conversation. You know, it's like we can carry it on. So think of it as we're planting seeds for us to water later on with our kids um, at the dinner table or wherever down the week. Um, if you miss a service at all, just know this, that we have all of our teachings recorded on our podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. You can find them. Search for the Fervent Church or Fervent.Church. Um, and then you can also watch them on our YouTube channel and just search for the Fervent Church there. And it premieres every Tuesday at 7.45 p.m. And so reason Tuesday is just because I work a full-time job five days a week, 50-something hours a week. Um, and so it's Tuesday is like, okay, I think I can edit it, get it done by Tuesday. And so that's why, um, to be honest. Train. All right. Um, and last couple of announcements here, if you guys want to give financially to support our vision and mission so that people may know Jesus in this area through our ministry, through the online uh, stuff that we're starting to do with YouTube and whatnot, you guys can give online at the Fervent, or not theferventchurch.com. That actually is a part of our website. It'll link you to it. But fervent.church is our website. Boom, fervent.church. You type that into your web browser. It'll take you there. You can give safe and secure online, or you can drop uh, offering or tithe into our little agape boxes at our uh, connection welcome table over there. And all donations are tax deductible, so that's just a good thing to know. Um, and with all that said, Bible's open to Mark chapter 1. Uh, we're going to start in verse 16. And uh, hey, you pulled it up on the screen man check that out that's what i'm talking about that's the verse i'm talking about romans 1 24 therefore god gave them up in the lust of their hearts their impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged check this out this is what the world is doing right now we can see it before our eyes because they exchanged the truth about god for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever amen that's what we're seeing and if your eyes are open and enlightened by the holy spirit you can see it too where it's like God is giving people over to their passions and their desires because they are exchanging the truth about God for a lie. That's really what Satan's been doing ever since the beginning. But anyways, let's pray. Um, Mark chapter 1, verse 16 is where we're going to start. But Father, we just ask that you would uh, teach us tonight, that you would send your Holy Spirit to be our teacher, God, that we would hear from you um, and that you would empower us to be the light of the world. You said we are the light of the world and we're not supposed to hide that light, but go shine it from the hills, Lord, so that other people could see it, Lord. And we pray that we would be that light, God. So Help us tonight. Uh, rebuke us if that's what we need. Encourage us if that's what we need. Uh, teach us. Whatever it is, God, we pray that you would give that to us tonight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in a series titled Jesus Verified, and I find this interesting, a little bit uh, comical because of the fact over this last week that we have seen the importance of verification, if you will, or authenticity, if you will. We're talking about ballots, right? It's like we see all this stuff, and maybe you, you don't know, but if you look at some other news sources that aren't mainstream media, there is a lot of controversy going on as to what ballots actually count for the election, what ballots don't count, all right? And I'm not here to say which right or wrong but there's this this um there is this controversy 
where it's like, are, what ballots are verified? And I just find it so interesting in that we actually started this series a few weeks ago, Jesus Verified. But what we see in the world is that they're in need of verification. The election status, like what's the status of the votes? Coronavirus, it's another thing where we need verification because the information is ever-changing. If you notice that, if you watch the news and you're just kind of, you've been up to date with it from when it kind of hit in March all the way up to today, it's like it's ever-changing where they're like, it's super contagious. You, you can't even look at someone without getting coronavirus to where it's like, well, it's not as contagious as we once thought. Um, just all kinds of ever-changing information, and you got to give them some grace because it's something new, and we're trying to figure it out, and they're learning things every day. But man, the information just in general in the world seems to be changing and shifting all the time. It's so so vastly different depending on the source that you use. And at the end of the day, it's like we, we look at it, and I think with the election, it's like you can look at mainstream media or you can look at the other media, which is kind of saying the other side of the story, and it's like you have to choose one or the other. Which one is right? Which one is wrong? And you got to decide for yourself. Who are you going to trust? Who are you going to believe? What source can you trust? Where is the information coming from? That's just things that you got to think about when people are trying to tell you the truth and steer you in one direction or another. And so the world, just in general, it gives us a very different direction and information source than the Bible does. Okay, and that's where I'm seeing this this thing where it's like we see I see a lot of Christians and I got to use quotes, sadly, but like some of my friends that I follow, it's like they have been they bash Christians. Um, They're very for Biden and I don't hate them for that or anything like that. So I'll tell you, I voted for Trump. I'm not going to hate you if you voted for Biden. Okay, just that plain like if we're Christians we're Christians right so why are we hating each other and I see these people they're saying shame on you Christians but at the same time they're saying you can't shame people for voting for Biden I'm like but you're shaming me in your shameful um uh, rebuking comment you know what I mean and so what I'm seeing though is like we see this mix of the world and Christianity and I got to tell you this that that cannot be you cannot have a worldly Christian a worldly Christian is not a Christian can I just say that can we just put that out there? A worldly Christian, someone who says, oh, well, we can get a little bit high and we can kill a few babies. And I know this is extreme, right? But this is some of the stuff that's happening right now. And, and we can do these things. Um, and then yet, oh, but I believe in Jesus and that he's for life and he loves everybody. It's like you, you can't believe lies and truth at the same time. Lies and truth mixed together equals not the full truth. Like that's a lie. It's a, it's a deception, And so at the end of the day, we have to decide who are we going to believe, God, the Bible, even though it might be offensive, even though it might offend our beliefs and our natural desires where we're like, but I like doing this, God. God, being a loving God, says, yeah, I know you like doing that stuff, um, but it's wrong. It's going to lead to eternity away from me. It's going to lead to death. It's going to lead to punishment. And that is not an unloving God to tell us what we're doing is wrong. You know, it's like I think of my, my son. It's like I am not unloving when I discipline him. I'm, I'm teaching him what's right and wrong. And it broke my heart the other day. I had to give him a spanking and a timeout because he just, he was not being good. And it broke my heart because he was saying just bad things. Like he was a four-year-old and he's like, I don't love you anymore. And, and you're not my best friend. And man, I was like, oh, it stung. It really hurt. And it was a wake-up point though for me where I was like, man, this is probably what God feels like. Where he's like, I love you so much. And you're doing things that are wrong. And i got to discipline you a little bit. And I don't want to. I bet our sin, our, it, it breaks the Father. God, our Father, it breaks His heart. 
And I don't think he wants to discipline us, but he, being loving, he does. And so we got to choose. Do we believe the Bible, even though it might be hard to stomach, hard to take in, or are we going to believe the things that the world are telling us? My job as a pastor is to simply present the truth of the Bible. Your job is to choose what you want to believe. You make a decision. But our series is Jesus Verified. Why is he verified? Well, it's like we have enormous witnesses throughout Scripture. We have prophecy of him in the Old Testament, hundreds, even thousands of years before, coming into into existence and coming into fulfillment in exact detail. Check out Psalm 22 and look at the death and crucifixion of Jesus in the Gospel accounts and just look at the parallel there. It's, it's, It's a script almost, and it's like impossible for that to be fulfilled so perfectly It's crazy. But anyways, we have a verified evidence. So it's like when we're looking for truth, what do we want to believe? What what should we believe? What is trustworthy? It's like the Bible is. It's the most like attacked book in the world, yet it is the most it's it's stood the test of time. It's stood the test of time. So Mark chapter 1, verse 16 is where we'll start and pick up tonight. And this is this tonight's teaching is part two of last week where it's Jesus started his ministry and you should too, part two. Okay, that's really, that's my title for tonight. Not very clever, not very anything, but you'll see why. So Mark chapter one, verse 16, it says this, it says, um, passing alongside the sea of Galilee, he, Jesus, saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting net into the sea for they were fishermen. So, so I want to pause there real quick, and I just want to emphasize the fact that it says, it says, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw, Jesus saw. I want to start with a bit of a story, and this is about my wife and I, and some of you know it, some of you don't, but uh, my wife and I, we've been married for about five or so years. She's looking at me like, oh my gosh, what are you going to say right now? You've got to wait and see. But we've been married for about a little over five years. Uh, we have two kids. You guys know them, Lucas and Nola, four-year-old Lucas, two-year-old Nola. Um, we've lived um, in four different places. We had an apartment. We bought a house. We lived with her parents for a season, and now we bought a house out here in Hutto, Texas. Um, and we moved from Arizona out here. So we've done a lot of stuff in these five years, okay? But going back to the start of our relationship, when we first started dating, one of the things that we love to do, we just, you know, some couples will go to the movies, and they just love to watch movies and TV shows. One of the things we love to do, we just love to listen to albums of music. We would just listen to a full album. We wouldn't talk or nothing. And we would just listen and sit there. It was just so, just, it was just so peaceful. And, and anyways, it was awesome. So we would just listen to music. And one of the collaborations that we love to listen to is this band or collaboration called You Plus Me. And it's Dallas Green from City and Color and um, Alicia Moore or whatever her name is. Huh? Yeah, Pink. Okay, so these two, they, they collab together. Anyways, they had this song. It's a phenomenal album, I would say. If you like acoustic music, songwriter stuff, go check it out. It's not a Christian album, but uh, it's just a good overall music. But one of the songs that we loved, we actually loved so much, it was called You and Me, and we used it as the intro to our wedding. So as I'm walking out onto the, the stage or whatever you want to call it, the stand, and my groomsmen are coming before me like, or after me, this song's playing, and then family comes down, um, they get seated, and then the bridesmaids come down, and then they take their place. So this song is going on, it's called You and Me, and I doubt our family and friends really picked up on these lyrics, but the reason we chose this song was because it was our story. It was talking about us, and this is the lyrics that it said. It said, you and me were always with each other, 
before we knew the other was ever there. And it goes on in the, in the song to kind of express that. But for me and Amber, it's like that was us. It's like we were always with each other before we knew the other was ever there. And what we mean, what, what for us anyways, it was like we have a unique story where we knew each other for probably five years or so before we even started dating. But the interesting thing is that we didn't really like each other. It wasn't that like I didn't like her or hated her, but it's like we, we just butted heads. We were on the worship team together. I played the, the drums, percussion, the box. She played the guitar and sang. And we just had different ideas and we just didn't like them. And then I think part of what fed into that, to be honest, was she was friends with two of my ex-girlfriends. And so she probably got the bad side of the story of the, the, the jerk Nick. Okay, but anyway, so, so we, we knew each other before... Um, we started dating, but here's the thing is one day we're just kind of like hanging out. We start talking, um, going to coffee shops, studying all that stuff. I just all of a sudden realize, and I think she probably had a similar moment where I'm just thinking like, man, like this is the woman that I've been looking for and waiting for all my life. And she's been right here in front of me for the last five years. Like it was just an, an amazing fact. And so for us, it was like we'd been in each other's lives the whole time, but we didn't realize that the person we were looking for, that our God-given spouse was right there in front of us. We had always been with each other before we actually knew we were with each other. Does that make sense? And so I share this story with you to tell you today that, uh, I don't tell you it to tell you our story, but although I use it as an example to illustrate the fact that there are relationships and things that we're looking for in life, we desire, right? You desire uh, relationships, love, acceptance, intimacy, things like that, and you're looking in every place but the place that the thing that's right in front of you. The, the thing that God has for you, like, and this is the thing, is Jesus, we're looking for fulfillment, we're looking for relationships, love and acceptance, and, and we're looking for it from people, and we can't seem to find it. Yet here's the thing is what I want you to see in Scripture today is that Jesus first sees the disciples. And so when you're looking out there for relationships, acceptance and all these things, we're looking for it in people and places. And Jesus is like, but I've been here the whole time. Jesus, Jesus would probably say the song himself is, you and me were always with each other before you knew I was ever there. Isn't that the truth, Right? See, so many people, man, they go on looking for all these things just to find emptiness. For me, it's like it wasn't that I didn't find relationships. I had uh, girlfriends before, but I just knew without a shadow of a doubt where I'm like, this is not the relationship God has for me for whatever reason. And then it's like light bulb moment. And when we started dating, it was like, man, this is the girl I've been waiting for. And if I would have just been patient, if I would have just let God do his thing, I would have found that out uh, probably sooner. But tonight I'm here to tell you again, the thing, the person we're looking for is Jesus, and he's always been there. And so we're going to see him call his disciples. So he says again, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea. So Jesus sees them first. Simon and Andrew, and this is what I love about it, is that they're just going about life normally. They're fishermen, they're out there doing their thing, they're fishing. It's not surprising, it's not abnormal, it's very normal. And so they're going about life, and then all of a sudden Jesus sees them. Jesus sees them, he first sees them. And you need to know tonight that right where you're at, whatever we're dealing with, however you feel about maybe the election and the things going on in the world, it's like Jesus sees you. He knows what you're going through. He knows what you might be tied up in. He sees you. Before you knew him, he was there. He's always there. 
And what great lengths we see people go to to try and find relationships and certain things when Jesus is right there in front of them. And what I love is that Jesus knows what we're going through and he knows what these, these uh, disciples are going through. They're fishing. Another instance in Scripture, it's, it tells us how Jesus, he actually comes up on the scene, and this is after the resurrection, and he sees the disciples, they'd gone back to what they knew. They go back to fishing. And so then he calls out to them, he's like, hey guys, you guys caught anything today? Right? And then you got to know this, whenever Jesus asks you a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. If Jesus asks you a question, it's because he wants you to know the answer. And so for him, he's, have you caught anything today? And the disciples are like, no. We haven't caught anything. And then Jesus says to them, well, throw your nets on the other side of the boat, right? And logic for us would just tell us, like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, my net's in the water right here, and if I take it out to throw my net in the water right here, it's the same water, essentially. But anyways, nonetheless, they do it, and then they bring in all these fish, and and they can hardly bring in the nets and stuff. But here's the thing. He says, put your net in the other side. Essentially, what Jesus says is, you haven't caught anything. He's like, try again. Try, try again. See, see, they're like, we fished all night, we've caught nothing. That's actually the, the story that he goes into. Uh, let's look at Luke chapter 1, or 5, verse 1. If you can put it up on the screen there for us. He says, on one occasion, and this is the same one that uh, Mark's talking about. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. So that's Peter and Andrew, and they're washing their nets. So it says, getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, who's Peter, he asked him to put out a little from land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. Let's just pause there. Okay, it's the same story as Mark chapter 1, verse 16. It's like the the people, the guys, are out there fishing. Luke, again, gives us more details. Matthew, um, John, they give us more details. All the Gospels go together. Mark's just this high speed, kind of just boom, 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 hitting some facts. But what we see here is the disciples are actually out there. They're fishing. They're wrapping things up. They're cleaning and mending their nets. And then Jesus says, no, go back out there and do it again. Try again. Try again. See, Jesus sees them right where they're at, not catching anything. Mending their nets, getting ready to call it a day. And Peter even responds as we saw. He's like, we've been trying all night and caught nothing. Peter probably was a little offended, don't you think? I think if this happened in today's world, oh my goodness, like that would be just the unspeakable thing is tell me to try again. Like you can't say that, Jesus. That's not okay. People are going to be offended and not like what you have to say. And then, but Jesus just says it how it is. Try again. Try again. So after trying all night, they go back out, they do what he says, and they obey, and they caught more fish than they probably ever have in their life in their, their boats were just overfilled, and it even says at one point that they started to sink. They started to sink, they were so heavy. And so you need to know tonight is that Jesus sees you right where you're at. Before you've seen him, before you've understood the full picture, Jesus sees you. He sees what you're going through, and he sees what you've been trying to do. 
You've been trying to make it through life. You, you, maybe you're exhausted tonight. Maybe you just totally tried everything that the world has to offer, um, even in like good things, and you're just like, I still feel unfulfilled. When Jesus would come into your life, he's like, I've seen you. And he, maybe he's going to say, well, try again. Try again with me. That's the thing here. See, they were fishing before without Jesus, and then Jesus comes into the picture, and now all of a sudden they start to obey him and do what Jesus says, and then they have the most successful fishing trip ever. And so Jesus is like, cast your nets out again. If you don't feel like you're making any progress tonight, you feel like you're stuck, take the words of Jesus. Try again. But try again with me. Try again my way. Don't give up. Galatians 6, 9 says, For in due season, if we don't give up, we will reap a harvest. That's why I introed with what I was saying. It's like, man, just be about the Bible. Don't worry about what the world's saying and what they're projecting on us. It's like, just be about the Bible because in due season, even if that due season ends with the end of our life, we will reap a harvest. And that's what it's all about. Like reaping a harvest for God. We're like, I endured to the end, Jesus. I made it to the end. People were hating. They were saying things about me. They were trying to bash the church and close us down. But Jesus, I persevered. I cast my nets out again. And Jesus is going to say, well done. I believe. So now back to Mark chapter 1, verse 16. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And I just want to note this real quick. They're fishermen. Normal, average men. Not scholarly men. Not architects or engineers, philosophers, religious leaders, professors. They're not like this highly educated person. They're a fisherman. Nothing bad about it, but they're just a normal middle-class person if we put it into today's terms. Normal guys, and what I want you to understand is that these normal guys, they would go on to change the world. They would flip the world upside down, and they, they witnessed many miracles. They were part of many miracles. They wrote down accounts of all these things, and it's the stuff that we're studying even here today. And so I want you to know tonight is that God uses basic people. You feel basic tonight? You're like, I don't got anything to offer. I'm not that special or talented. Perfect. It's like, that's what God wants. He's like, that's fine. You don't need anything. All you need is me and you, and we're going to do something really great. God's like a good chef. You ever watch some of those chef shows, and, and they have the same ingredients you have at home, and you're like, surely nothing good can come out of these ingredients, right? And you're just itching your head at home trying to make something. But then you watch this chef who knows what they're doing. They take the same stuff you got at home, the leftovers that they had that you don't want anything of, and then they turn it into a masterpiece. Basic ingredients, uh, a totally uh, extraordinary dish. That's what God wants to do with your life. He's like, you're basic? Perfect. I'm going to turn it into something amazing. I'm going to do something great with it. If we would just repent and believe like we saw last week, God will do what he does best. So verse 17, after that says, And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. So he, he sees that they're fishermen, they're basic, ordinary guys, we've got to understand that. And then he says to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And just please note that w back in Luke, it's like he actually says this after they caught the fish. 
after they went back out, they caught the fish, and then Jesus says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. So they saw the power and the, the miraculous things that Jesus could do. And so he says, follow me. And follow me is the next step after what we learned last week. Last week we saw repent and believe. That's step number one. If we don't repent of our sins, we ain't going anywhere. We're stuck. We're doomed. All right. And if we don't believe in Jesus, same thing. We're not going anywhere. We're stuck in our sins. We're doomed. And we've got to pay for our own sins eventually. But if we can repent and believe in Jesus, then we can start to find eternal life. When we repent and turn to Jesus and we start to believe in Jesus, we'll see the life that he has for us, the life abundant, the things that he wants to do. I shared with you guys a few weeks ago where it's like my desire when I got out of high school or even in high school, I wanted to be an auto technician, just a mechanic. I'm like, it's a good job. Everybody drives cars um, and they just need them to be fixed. So it's never going to go out of business. Um, And that was my thought. Just have a nice, simple life, make some decent money. But then as I gave my life to Jesus, he churned my, my uh, desires around. Now instead of going to college to try and learn about cars, I went to college to learn about the Bible. I went to Bible college. And so we repent and we believe and we start to follow Jesus. And as we follow him, he starts to reveal what he wants to do with us. And, what, and following, it just means to, re- I mean, literally follow, but it means to obey. It's like, well, what does following Jesus even mean? Well, it means to obey Jesus. Now, what does that mean? Well, you should read the Bible. You should see what he has to say. And and so, follow Jesus. And what I think that's sad these days is that we see a lot of people who claim to believe in Jesus, but we see a lot of people who are not following Jesus. We see people who are following culture, as I kind of mentioned to you guys earlier. They're following culture. They're following the ways of the world. Yet at the same time, they're saying, but yeah, I'm a Christian. Oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus. You know what I mean? Is there's a conversation my wife had the other day where they're like, so you're saying I'm not a Christian because of these things? And my wife was like, well, I'm not saying that, but it's like, but it does bring to question that. See, if you're a Christian and people know it's like, like you're true, uh, abiding in Christ Christian, you will be bearing fruit. Jesus says that tr- you'll know a tree by its fruit. You know, at first, it's like, yeah, maybe you're a Christian, maybe you're not. But after a year or two, it should be pretty obvious. Like, okay, this dude is devoted. He goes to church all the time. He goes to midweek service. He's serving people outside of it in his community. It's like they'll know that you're a Christian by what you do. And so I think it's sad. It's like there's a lot of people who say I'm a Christian, but they, they aren't following Jesus like they should be. And so Jesus calls them to follow him, learn from me, study, study what I do and do that. And so then he says, and I will make you become fishers of men. And if you have a Bible and if you take like notes or anything in your Bible, I would underline that word become because it's a, it's a process. It's not a, oh, boom, hey, there you are. Now you're fishers of men. Now, ooh, now you've arrived at what you're supposed to be. Right? It's not like a magic trick where he just all of a sudden turns the lights on. No, it's a process. Sanctification is really what, he, what it alludes to as well, where it's like, be sanctified, be set apart as, he says, be holy as I am holy. Being sanctified, though, for us, is a process. It's like, okay, I'm a, we're getting there, but we've never fully arrived until we arrive at, in heaven, right? And so he says, I'll make you become fishers of men. It's a process and it's something we've got to be patient with. So just be patient with yourselves where it's like, oh man, I'm not where I want to be. It's like, but you're not where you were, hopefully. 
You're not doing what you used to do. You're following Jesus and just understand you're going to be growing and it's, it's, going, to, it's going to come over time. And so he says, I'll make you become fishers of men. He wants to change these guys who are fishermen, fishing for fish in the world, if you will, to being fishermen who are fishing for God's kingdom. I said it last week. It's like our first goal and, and thing is to repent and believe or to follow Jesus. And then really what he wants to do is like, like we're not building his kingdom as far as like buildings and we're not making salvation. We're just filling his house with people. Our job is to go out there and make disciples. Go out there and preach the gospel to people and let them know that there is a God who loves them and wants to invite them in. And leave it up to them to make their decision. So he says, I want to make you fishers of men. Verse 18, he says, he says and immediately... And immediately they left their nets and followed him. I, I love the word there, immediately. It's like without question, without hesitation. Like they saw, remember, so again, Luke said that Jesus made them get more fish than they ever had before. And then Jesus says, follow me and I'm going to make you fishers of men. And then immediately they're like, yes, let's go. They leave their nets behind. All right, Jesus, let's go. I, I, I believe you. I've seen some of the things that you can do. And it's just a very small sampling at that point, right, from what Jesus actually goes on to do. And so they're like, they, immediately. And that should be us. When Jesus calls, our response should be immediately. Not this thing, well, ah, maybe tomorrow. We don't know if we have tomorrow. Ah, maybe when I learn a little bit more. Ah, maybe when I get a little bit more money, a little more comfortable, a little more set up, a little more established, then I'll start serving in the church and I'll start helping out here and doing ministry and then I'll start my ministry. No, Jesus is calling. He wants you to call and make a decision today. The Bible says, behold, today is the day of salvation. Doesn't, my friend, he said, he's like, nowhere in the Bible does it say, like, tomorrow is the day of salvation, or repent tomorrow. It's like, no, today. If you hear the Lord's voice today, we should respond. And so Jesus calls. They respond. Uh, Simon and Andrew respond immediately, and, and they follow Jesus. Following Jesus immediately, it requires an abandonment of yourself. And this is the thing that I, I really think hangs people up right it's like they don't want to abandon themselves because again abandoning yourself is like this it's like holding everything that you love your your preferences and everything with an open hand abandoning yourself would be like all right jesus whatever you want to take from me take it but the world and the people us we want to hold on to it but but i kind of like my sin I kind of like my life. It's, a little, it's comfortable, Jesus. I don't want to leave. Like that was something me and my wife wrestled with when coming out here to Texas where it's like, wait, we're going to leave a job that I get paid pretty decently with a job where I get to preach to a lot of people all the time and is a fruitful ministry and is comfortable. Like leaving that was scary. But when Jesus is calling, it's like, all right, well, we got to go. And you guys know some of the stories where it's like we prayed, where we had a roof that we had to fix for our house to be sold. And we pray, say, God, if you want us to, to sell this house, you got to help us fix the roof because we ain't got no money to fix it. And if you've heard this story, it's like, I kid you not, like within the same month, some dude comes knocking on the door. Hey, I don't know if you know this, but there was a hailstorm in the area and there's a lot of roof damage on the houses around here. And the insurance company is covering the whole cost. And I'm just like, Psh, 
you're crazy, dude. Thanks anyways, man. And then next week he comes back again. Like, oh, I don't know if you saw Bob over there and Joe and Sally. They all got new roofs because of the hailstorm. And I'm like, yeah, I did see because I heard you guys nailing on the houses all morning long at 5 in the morning. What are you doing at 5 in the morning? Anyways, besides the point, eventually I go to my friend. I say, hey, bro, he works in construction. I said, is this the real deal? And he said, oh, it's the real deal. And, I, and he says, I'll do it for you if you want me to. And I said, well, that's great. I would love to, but I can't pay the deductible. And he said, don't worry. You don't got to pay the deductible. Just give me the insurance money and we'll call it even. And so we got a brand new house on our roof and we didn't pay a single penny for it. And so then at that point, I'm like, wait, we prayed. God, if you want us to sell our house and move for real, like it was like a, us checking like, Lord, are you really calling us to church plant or no? Or are we just crazy? And God was like, no, I'm calling you to church plant. And he provides this roof for us. And it was just like, man, now I feel like we're in sin if we don't sell it and go. And so following Jesus is an abandonment of self where it's like, Lord, if you want to take this house, take it and we'll go. It's hard to deny ourselves desires that we have, but man, when we're following Jesus, it's like, again, it's God's word over everything, over our preference, over what we might think is right and wrong. If the Bible says that it's wrong, it's wrong. End of story. So Jesus calls, we should answer. Verse 19, it goes on, it says, And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Another two of the disciples, it says, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat mending the nets. And so really, what, mending the nets is like they're wrapping up from the day. Like they're, they're putting the stuff away, they're cleaning it up, they're fixing the nets because they used them all day long. Um, and so they're mending the nets there. Um, and then verse 20, it says, And immediately he, Jesus, called them, and they, that's James and John, left their father... Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. See what I'm saying? It's like a call to follow Jesus is a call to abandon yourself. It's like, this is what I'm doing right now. I'm fishing. My dad's in the boat. Our company workers are in the boat. The hired servants, you know, it's like, you got to understand this was their job. This was their company. This was their livelihood. And Jesus comes along the scene. He says, hey, follow me. And then all of a sudden, James and John are like, all right, Peace out, Dad. Guys, make sure you clock out. And uh, they're off on their way. It's, it's just an amazing thing. And immediately he called to them. And immediately they respond. They leave their things behind. They left everything to follow Jesus. I want to flip to Matthew 19. If you can flip there, it'll be on the screens here. Matthew 19, verse uh, 16 through 30 is actually what we'll read. And it says this, and this is a story Jesus gives, a little parable, or not parable, but a, an instance in his life. It says, And behold, a man came up to him, to Jesus, and saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, this is Jesus saying to the guy, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. Verse uh, 18, he said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept, what do I still lack? Verse 21, 
Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to the disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? At the thing that Jesus says, a rich person can't enter heaven. Who then can be saved? But verse 26, But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, and listen up to this, guys. If maybe you're thinking about this, and you're thinking about following Jesus, and you're like, well, what will I get if I leave everything? So Peter says, we've left everything. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone... Who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. So, so Jesus has that conversation with the rich young man and the young man says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus' basic reply is, go sell and get rid of everything that you got. Give it to the poor. Come and follow me. And, what he's, and the principle there is not that we should all go get rid of everything that we have, but whatever we're, we're holding on to that Jesus is saying, hey, get rid of that, whether it's sin or whether it's possessions that we have, things that we might, maybe we idolize even. If we, Jesus calls us to get rid of it, we should get rid of it and come and follow him. The rich young man said, though, or he walked away sad because he had great possessions. Otherwise, if we said it another way, maybe he didn't think it was worth it. I don't know, Jesus, my stuff, or you, I don't know. And that's really the controversy that we face. It's like, are we going to follow our ways and try to protect our stuff and our way of living, or are we going to follow Jesus? And then Jesus says, man, it's impossible for a rich man to enter heaven. And I love Todd Agnew. He asks a question in one of his albums. He says, if it's hard for a rich man to enter heaven, why do we try so hard to be rich? And I'll just leave that at that. We can ponder that one for a minute, right? But then the disciples hear that, and they're like, then Jesus... If that's true, who's, who can be saved? And then Jesus says, everyone who leaves all these things, mother, father, brother, sister, lands, you're, you're going to get a hundredfold in the life to come. You're going to get a hundredfold in the life to come. See, when Jesus calls us to follow him and leave our old ways behind, he's not just saying, hey, just get rid of all that stuff and you're never going to gain or get anything ever again. This is what I want you to understand. He's like, I know it's hard. I know it's going to hurt. It's uncomfortable. But he's like, it's going to be worth it. This is a promise that I hold on to because I'm like, we left our home. We sold our house. We left our friends and our family who we love. And it was hard, right? We left our job to come out here to start a church. And the promise that I hold on to is that Jesus said, hey, if you leave these things for my sake and you come follow me, he's like, I'm going to take care of things and you're actually going to get a hundredfold in the life to come. To put that into perspective, that'd be like someone saying, hey, can I borrow 10 bucks? 
and then they're like, hey, don't worry, I'm going to give you a thousand bucks later. Who wouldn't take that deal? Right? I'd give you a hundred bucks to try and just make that into more money. It's like, that's a great deal. And that's what Jesus is saying. If you give up this stuff on life, in your life right now, he's like, I know it looks good. I know you love it. And it's hard to let go, but it's like, just trust me on this. I'm going to give you so much more than you can even imagine. We're going to inherit a heavenly family when we all get there one day. And it's going to be so much better and it's going to be worth it. And Jesus is trying to reassure him it's going to be worth it. It might seem hard and it might even seem foolish. The world will make you feel foolish. No, don't get rid of that stuff. You need it, man. You worked hard for these things. But the world, man, it's getting dark. And so we're, we're already looked at as foolish and crazy, but it's like, again, who are you going to believe? Who are you going to follow, Jesus or, or the world? The last few verses I want to leave you with tonight is Luke 9, 23, 24, and 25, and then we'll close. It says this, and this is Jesus. He said, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself. And I just want you to think about this tonight. As we're thinking about following Jesus, just think about Jesus' words there. He says, For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? It's not worth it, is what it is. So in closing tonight, I just want you to understand, be encouraged that Jesus sees you. He sees you right where you're at. He sees what you might be struggling with. He sees that you might be doing really good in life and you're running the race strong. But I just want you to know Jesus sees you. Jesus is calling you into his family, into, to follow him, into his ministry. And the question is, are you willing to give, give up your life to see what he might do? Are you willing to follow him and start your ministry? As we talked about last week, each one of us has a ministry, a calling from God. And that doesn't mean that we all should start a church, but it means that we should play a part in our community as part of the church. Will you follow him? Jesus started his ministry. Jesus said, follow me. And only you can make the decision. You guys stand with me. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for your word. Thank you just for your boldness, God, that you just came down, Lord, that you taught so boldly, that you lived so boldly and so countercultural, Lord. And God, we just thank you for that example. God, I pray that you would give us that boldness and give us that desire to live for you and to do the things that you did, to teach the things that you taught, God, and that we would full-heartedly believe it, too. God, I pray that as we follow you, that we would grow and that you would turn us into fishers of men. Um, Lord, just trying to fill your house. Lord, making disciples of all nations. Teaching people what's right and wrong and not being ashamed of the gospel. God, I pray that you'd help us to become who you want us to be. Lord, that you would make us effective and that it would all be to your glory and that people may see that it's not us, but it's you working in us, God. And so we thank you for this time. and. Um, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.